Hello and welcome to the Your Bible Speaks Church podcast, Sabbath morning edition. I'm so glad that you chose to worship with us today. This is the day that the Lord has made. So join me in rejoicing and being glad in it. Church family, can I tell you something amazing? This speaker we have today is Dr. Timothy Golden, a professor of philosophy from Walla Walla University, and his message is amazing, and you're going to love it. So it's my prayer as you worship with us today that you will find something empowering, enriching, and something to hold on to so your life will have power and purpose. So without further ado, here's the message from Dr. Timothy Golden. Church family, today's speaker is a professor of philosophy at Walla Walla University in College Place, Washington. Dr. Timothy Golden is the coordinator for the pre-law program at Walla Walla. Dr. Golden is the founder and serves on the uh, board of the Donald Blake Center for the Study of Race um, ethnicity, culture, and culture. Church family, Dr. Golden is a philosopher. Dr. Golden is a professor. Dr. Golden is a lawyer. Dr. Golden is a man of scholarship and knowledge of things like critical race theory that no one seems to understand but has a lot to say about. Dr. Golden is a all-around great guy. But the truth is, Dr. Golden is a communicator. Dr. Golden makes the classroom come alive. If, and you guys all know, I made it very, very clear, my kind of rough relationship with Walla Walla, but Dr. Golden is the one thing that I forever value and treasure from my experience at Walla Walla. Got a chance to tell that to Dr. Golden in person um, earlier this weekend. But Dr. Golden makes the classroom amazing. If you are trying to figure out, oh, I want to study philosophy or study pre-law, can I tell you there's no better person to learn under than Dr. Golden? Because he makes the classroom come alive. Dr. Golden is an author, but he's also an actor. Dr. Golden is an actor, and he came to Oakwood, and I got to see him. My professor from Walla Walla came to Oakwood and performed in a play uh, about Thorgood Marshall. Dr. Golden has a golden voice. But all of the accolades that Dr. Golden has, there is nothing more important than he is a servant of the one true God. All the accolades, all of his degrees, all his experience boils down to the fact that Dr. Golden is obedient to God. And he is a servant of the Most High. So after a brief period of meditation, and after we pray for Dr. Golden as a church family, the next voice you will hear will be not just an actor, a teacher, a professor, a thinker, a friend, a preacher, but you will hear a word from the Lord through his servant, Dr. Timothy Golden. Let's pray for the preacher at this time. Loving God, we ask that you would hide Dr. Golden behind the cross. God, we ask that every word today be lifted high 
and divine fruit for us to take and eat of. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to hear from your manservant. So we ask all these things, and we lift up the preacher, and all those that believe and are expected a good word, said, amen, amen, and amen. left before noon. So I say good morning. Your Bible Speaks Church. I am blessed and humbled and honored to be here. Pastor Richardson, thank you for the invitation and thank you for that kind introduction. I, I like to think that I'm just a sinner saved by grace trying my best to be obedient to a God who is far better to me than I deserve. Sometimes I think if I got what I deserved, I probably would have been gone a long time ago. But I'm grateful that we serve a God whose mercy endures for how long? Forever. I'm thankful that we serve a God who's abundant in grace whose kindness never runs out of steam. And so I want to thank you all for having me today. Again, Pastor Richardson, I, I take it very seriously to share in this sacred responsibility to deliver a word from the Lord. You know, Sister White says that the preacher cannot give what he has not received. And so in order for me to bring the word to you, God has to bring the word to me. And before you can be impressed by the word, I have to be impressed by it. In other words, I got to deal with myself before I deal with you. And God's got to deal with me before I deal with you. Uh, before he deals with you, rather, through the word. So I just want to begin by talking a little bit about a story that's familiar to many of us. It's found in the book of Exodus, chapter 33, and you all know the story. Moses has been dealing with God in some interesting ways. He's heard his voice come from a bush that was on fire, but that was not consumed. He's seen his hand and his finger penetrate into space and time and right into stone, his law. And it's in this context that one day Moses, understandably so, just gets a little curious and says, show me who you are because I want to go back and tell the folk. Now here, they see me ascend up the mountain and they see all the smoke and, and, and lightning and they, 
you know, and I come back down and I tell them, well, this is what God has said. Well, they want to know who I'm talking about. And I want to know who is talking to me. Because, you know, if you're not careful, you know, the Bible says test the spirits. Right? And so, understandably, Moses' human nature cries out for some empirical discernment. Show me who you are. And I love what God said to him. God said, no man can see me and live. See, you can't see me and live. See, Moses, if I could just talk about philosophy for a second here. See, Moses wanted to understand God philosophically. He wanted to see God under the conditions of his own finite intelligibility. He wanted God to show him who he was so he could go back and use words, language, and explanation. But God said you can't do that and live because there is no life in relationship with me if you see me coming. If you know me, then the mystery of life and faith becomes unnecessary. And that aside, God had to be thinking, Moses, let me tell you something, baby. That little finite intellect that's crying out for understanding, it can't handle infinity. See, because if God had granted Moses' wish and decided to fully reveal himself, Moses would still be standing there. Because God has no end. In fact, he told him at the bush that my first name is the same as my last name. He said, my name is I am that I am because I have no past. And there is no future for me. My future and my will is concerned with you. So I will condescend to love you, but I have no future. God on his own has no will because to have a will means you lack something. You want something and God wants for nothing. But you know who does have wills? You and I, so we can speak properly of God's will for our lives because his will is a will not for himself but for us because we are deficient. So he said, I can't let you see me from the front. I call this the problem of anteriority. You want to see God from, the, from an anterior view. In other words, you want to see him coming. But God said your, your finite mind can't handle infinity. Because if you, if you thought you could, you would walk away from an encounter with me and you would 
articulate me according to the dictates of your finitude, which means there would always be something left over. So you could never, so whatever you walked away from me thinking you could do, you would be articulating a concept that would be a God with a small g. And you run around telling people that you, you, you understand and that God is subject to human reason and that I can somehow spell it out for you so you can, you can understand it and you can see him coming. But God says there'll always be something left over. Oh, I ain't even got to the text yet. Y'all pray for me. But we're going to get there today. Scripture says in John that when Jesus fed the 5,000, it says that the fish were gone, but that there were 12 baskets of bread left over. Jesus calls himself the bread of life. If we take the fish to represent finite creation, then the bread represents infinite divinity. And no matter how hungry the multitude was, anytime you try to consume God, there's always going to be something left over. So he leaves the, as a witness to his infinity, these 12 baskets of bread on a day when a little boy that just had five loaves and two fish came forward and gave it to Jesus and he fed a hungry multitude. But the only thing that the multitude could fully consume was that which is created. They could consume the fish, but they couldn't consume the bread. You know why? Because Jesus is the bread of life. So that is a symbolic representation of God's infinity. But I love what God said to Moses. He said, you know, I understand that you want to see me. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to talk like I'm down south. You know, I went to graduate school in Memphis. God told Moses what I'm fitting to do is put you in the cleft of a rock. And I'm going to cause all my goodness to pass before you. And you're not going to be able to see my front. You're only going to be able to see my backside. In other words, we move from a religion of anteriority, devoted to philosophical certainty, metaphysical explanation, and epistemic truth to a posterior mode of praise. In other words, Moses could leave his encounter with God and say, I didn't see him coming from the front, but I could only see what he left behind. So I saw his backside. And when I saw his backside, I can't explain to y'all how he did it. See, because if I could explain how, then my religion wouldn't be a religion of praise and testimony. It would be a dry religion of abstract philosophical explanation. And the meager nature of my metaphysics 
and the emptiness of my epistemology would result in a religion that is no religion at all. So God said, I'm going to make you see my backside. How many of you know that you were in situations in your life where you wished you could have seen God coming, but years later you look back and as a testimony to his grace and his mercy, you can't explain how he did it, but you sing praises to his name because you see what he left behind. I'm gonna preach that one day and say, God's about to show you his backside. When God shows his behind, there you go, Pastor. And today I want to talk to you about one of those things that God has left behind. A mercy that he has left behind for us. An object lesson in nature that God has left behind for us. Not so that we can understand him, but so that we can give him praise and thanksgiving for what he has done for us. So I'll ask if you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings. Now we got to the message. Y'all pray for me, please. I don't want to keep you long, but you know, you... There's times when you can't rush the word. You got to set the table. And, and so I hope the table looks good. Second Kings chapter 13. And I want to read verses 20 and 21. The Bible says, I'll read and you are hearing. And I'm reading from the King James Version. The Bible says, and Elisha died. And they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming in of the year. And it came to pass. You know, it's a good thing when the scripture says it comes to pass. Because whatever comes doesn't come to stay. It comes to pass. God help us. As they were burying a man, that behold they spied a band of men, and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. I want you to think with me this afternoon now. We're in afternoon now. I love transitions. It's afternoon. Jesus and the jurisdiction of history. Jesus and the jurisdiction of history. Let us pray. Father, it is now time for your word to be spoken. Bless it and us that we may receive it. And may I keep my mouth shut that you would do all the talking. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank Maria for reading, so beautifully reading that scripture this morning. We're talking today about what God has left behind. We're talking about God's mercies that show themselves in nature. 
And before I talk about our scripture reading for the morning, I want to impress upon all of us the importance of history. After all, it is Black History Sabbath. And in our contemporary discussions of race, there are many, even in the church, who would tell black people that black history is not important, that we should ignore black history. And to those who are here and those who may be listening that feel somewhat hesitant about acknowledging history, I want you to consider the following hypothetical with me. There's a young boy named Billy, and Billy wants to play basketball. I'm sorry, let's call him Jamal. Let's call him Jamal. Jamal wants to play basketball, but Jamal has a heart condition. And because he has a heart condition, he, he's told by his doctors that he may grow out of it one day, but that for now, he, at the young age of, of seven and eight, eight years old, he, he can't do it because it's dangerous for him. Well, when he gets to be 14, now he has watched all his childhood friends in the neighborhood play basketball. They go to school. They're on the team. He goes to watch the games, and it just hurts his heart so much because he wants to play, but he can't. And eventually, he goes to the doctors at age 14 for a physical. And the doctor tells Jamal, I think your heart condition has improved enough for you to play basketball. But you still have to be careful. So Jamal's mother and father agree. They let him play. The doctor gives him a note. He gives it to the basketball coach. Because Jamal has spent so much time watching basketball and sneaking behind his parents' back and playing, he's really good. And he makes the team. Well, one day at practice, the team was a little bit sloppy. And the coach decided that they had to run some extra laps after practice. And the coach knew about Billy's heart condition. I'm sorry. Thank you. I like that. I like that, brother. You just blessed me today. Uh, Judge, uh, the judge, the coach knew about Jamal's heart condition, but in the interest of treating everyone the same, the coach said, he's so good, he'll, he'll be all right. And they ran extra after practice, and Jamal collapsed and died. Now, Jamal died because his history was ignored. Come on, Doc. Come on, Doc. When we ignore history, people die. When history, when Jamal's history was ignored, the coach decided that he would rather treat everyone the same than be attentive to Jamal's history. But how many of you know that treating 
people the same is not treating people fairly. See, we live in a world occupied with terms like equality. And we think that we can just put everybody on the same level. But you can't do that because if you do that, you are ignoring history. And what happens when you ignore history? People die. You see, most black people in America die twice. Their physical death is a belated pronouncement of a social and political demise that occurred long before it because the world in which they live ignores their history. And what happens when you ignore history? People die. And so if we talk about seeing God's backside, seeing what God has left behind, You've got to go to the fourth day of creation. And as Maria read that scripture this morning, the word says that on the fourth day of creation, God put lights in the heavens. And he said, I'm going to put some to rule the day and some to rule the night. So I'm going to put the moon and the stars will rule the night. That'll be a lesser light. And then the sunshine will be the greater light that will rule the day. And as we consider God putting all of this together, I want us to ask ourselves, what is it that God is leaving behind for us to see? What mercies, what precious truths are there? that help us understand just how much God loves us and how important history really is to God. Yesterday, I felt good yesterday. I said, man, I'm gonna get out of my house. That's a a hard thing to do in Walla Walla sometimes. (laughs) You know, I I stay in my, you stay in the house, man. This pandemic thing, this pandemic thing is for the birds. I'm not going to lie to you. But yesterday I got in the car and I said, I'm about to drive out there to see one of my former philosophy students. And I am, you are so blessed with Pastor Richardson. I'm telling you. What a fine, fine member of the clergy you have. So I was driving yesterday and the weather was spectacular. The sun was shining, and as I looked at the sun, I'm reminded that when you see the sunshine, you don't see it as it is. You see it as it was eight minutes ago because it takes the light from the sun traveling at a speed of 186,000 miles per second to travel 93 million miles in eight minutes. So the sun that you see in the sky is literally eight minutes old. So the next time somebody tells you to stop living in the past, 
You just go tell them that you're saturated in it. You can't help it. No matter how hard you try, you want to you study it some more, go out on a clear night and look up at the stars. Astronomers tell us that the stars you see have already burned out. Their light is just reaching the Earth's atmosphere. And so whether it is the greater light that rules the day, that puts us eight minutes in history, or the lesser lights that rule the night, that put us thousands of years in the past, we are literally saturated in history. We can't get out of it. We're stuck in it. The German philosopher Immanuel Kant said that time is not an object of, is not a property of objects external to us, but time is what he called a subjective form of intuition. In other words, we're hardwired to see the world in terms of time. So we're not, time is not something separate from us. We're attached to time. And if you need a scriptural reference, just read the first 11 verses of Ecclesiastes 3, where the wisest man who ever lived. Now, you know what, I'll get back to that in a second. You know when you were little in school, right? And y'all you, you, remember the word problems? If a train left Chicago traveling at X amount of miles per hour and another one left Los Angeles traveling at the same speed and they left at the same time, at what point would the trains intersect, right? I, ne I, I was never good at word problems. That's why I study philosophy, right? Never that good with math. But the point to be made here is we tend to think of time in a very narrow way as a way that we measure how fast objects move in space. The scouting combine is coming up for the National Football League next month, I think. And when that happens, they're going to be have they're going to have young men. Man, it's a good thing to be young. They're going to have young men, eight, you know, 20, 21 years old, and they're going to time how fast they run, the 40 yards, right? I tell my students if if I ran the 40 yard dash, they wouldn't need a stopwatch; they'd need a calendar. <laughs> God have mercy, right? But the point is, we see time, and time is legitimate for scientific uses. I'm not saying it's, it's not a good thing, but what the scripture tells us in the first 11 verses of Ecclesiastes is that time bears a strong connection to human activity. The scripture says there's a time to live, a time to die, a time to laugh, a time to cry, a time to share, a time to keep from sharing, a time to plant, a time to build, a time to tear down, right? And the point is, that our connection to time is a, represents a connection to history that God left behind for us as a mercy in nature because the central feature of the gospel is that a God who exists outside of time entered time to save us. He came that God... Christmas notwithstanding, and I don't want to start any trouble, 
Christmas notwithstanding, God has no birthday. He has no birthday. My mother and father both gone. As they rest in their grave in Philadelphia at the North, Northwood Cemetery, there's the date they were born and the date they died. They're buried together. Father died first, mother died second, mother's buried on top of my father. Love my mother and father. But like you and I, they had a birth date and a death date. God doesn't have either one. Why did he tell Mo what did he tell Moses? I am. Right? I am. I'm not he's not gonna die. There's no there's no past, there's no present. But what did he do? In order to save us, he was so attentive to history that he who had no past gave himself a past, a present, and a future in the person of Jesus Christ. So if God ignored history, we would be forever lost. But it was because of God's attentiveness to history in love, a love that is infinite, that he made himself into something that by nature he isn't in order to save us. And so much in the scripture points to Jesus. It's Black History Month. Black people identify with certain stories in the scriptures because they are stories of oppression and deliverance. God pays so much attention to history that when Adam sinned, he came and asked him, where are you? Now, God didn't ask him because he didn't know. That question was for Adam. For Adam to begin to reflect on his sinfulness. Where art thou, Adam? And Adam said, oh, well, you know, we ate fruit you told us not to, and we had to bind ourselves up with leaves because we were naked. And God said, how you find that out? Who told you you were naked? I love what the scripture says in Genesis 3.8. It says that Adam and Eve heard the voice of the Lord walking. How does a voice walk? Oh, Lord. They heard the voice of the Lord walking. And, and I like to think that we associate a voice with words and walking with action. See, because when you and I say we're going to do something, it might happen and it might not happen. Right? When God... God's word is so sure that when he speaks, it has already happened. It happens at the same time. So the, so the Lord's voice walks. Our voice just kind of stands there. You know, there might be a lot of brothers in here going to watch the All-Star game tomorrow, and your wife might come out and nudge you. She said, hey, baby, the trash can's full. You want to take it out? Yeah, I'll take it out at halftime. That might happen, it might not happen. Right? Sometimes I wonder if this is why Jesus wasn't married. 
Every time his wife would have wanted something, he would have said yes, baby, and would have showed up right there. Well, you know, I sure would like a new kitchen, sure thing, boom, right there, right? Because God's voice walks. But the point here is that God entered into history out of concern for his creation. See, there's, there's a certain deistic conception of God that says God created the heavens and the earth and then withdrew and left us to our own devices. But the Bible does not, that does not square with the Bible. Right? The Bible shows us that God made everything and, and loved it so much that he remained interested. And so when he asked Adam where he was, that was a question of love. When he said, who told you you were naked, that was a question of love. When the Bible says his voice walked, Adam and Eve misunderstood his voice walking to mean that their death was going to be immediate. But God was, little did they know, that God's voice walking meant that even though they had transgressed his commandment, there was still a plan of salvation that was just as sure of a word as his promise to them that if they ate of the fruit of the tree, they were going to die. So God pays attention to us. He pays attention to history. He paid attention to history when he saw his people languishing in Egypt. And God entered history and parted the Red Sea just enough for his people to be delivered and then ultimately closed up the Red Sea so Pharaoh's army could drown. God pays attention to history because when the Hebrew boys said to the king, we're not careful to answer thee in this manner. Nevertheless, if it be so, king, know that we're not going to worship your gods, but we're going to worship the true God. God, what does God do? He enters history. Nebuchadnezzar looked into the fire and he said, I put three in there, but I see four. And the fourth is like who? The son of God. God have mercy. And then we go to the gospels and the ultimate sacrifice. John 1.1 says in the beginning was the word. John 1.14 says in the word was made what? Flesh and dwelt among us that we could behold his glory. In other words, a God who is infinite wrapped himself into finitude subjected himself to sin, temptation, without sinning, and lived a life of strife and struggle. You know, Jesus was not born into wealth and excess. (laughs) There's a reason why the scripture calls Jesus the second Adam. You know why? It calls him the second Adam Because Jesus wants to prove Satan wrong, absolutely. So he says, here's what I'm going to do. The first Adam ate in paradise when he wanted for nothing and was not hungry. So Jesus said, God said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my son who will deprive himself of food. For 40 days and 40 nights. And unlike Adam who ate in paradise when he was not hungry, my son 
will enter into history and refuse to eat in the wilderness when he is hungry. And the real power of that story is that the essence of divinity is to know when to forbear on your power even though it would be useful to you. So when the enemy showed up and said, turn the stones into bread, now if I was Jesus, I would have made a Panera bread and y'all would be lost. Because I'm going to tell you, 40 days without food or drink? What? I'm making a Panera bread. I'm finna sit down. Pass that butter over here, baby. Butter up that bread and... Sorry, y'all just gonna have to burn in hell. But we serve... I'm just having a little fun, man. Go easy on me. Came a long way from Walla Walla, man. I'm not, I'm not sitting in my house looking at something online. I'm actually, I see people. That's a blessing, right? And so the point to be made here is that Jesus, when he enters into history, he doesn't come down here just to have a good time, right? I mean, this is, this is an, to have the word made flesh, to have the Logos enter history, to, to have God be so attentive to us as to, to become human in the person of Jesus Christ and live a life of sacrifice. See, because it wouldn't be sacrifice if he couldn't turn the stones into bread. That's what makes it a sacrifice. Right? And, and so remember when the, they came to get the Roman guard came to get him and, and Judas was with them? kind of reminds me of the opening of Job. You know, in Job, it says, there came a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before God, and Lucifer was among them. As they approached, as they approached Gethsemane, Jesus, who is ever-present throughout the Scripture and understands the dynamic of the book of Job, experiences a sort of divine deja vu, deja vu because as he sees the Roman guard coming to arrest him, he remembers in his mind there came a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before God and Judas was among them. Satan was among them. And what does Jesus do? You know what he does? When Peter cuts off the ear, Centurion? Jesus said, uh-uh. He healed him. He exercises his power for the benefit of, pe benefit of others in history when he could have saved himself. What did he tell Peter? Boy, are you crazy? Don't you know I could call on my father right now? And he would send 12 legions of angels to save me. Right? And so we have commitment. We have sacrifice. Last but not least, we have pain and suffering, a bleeding out, a bloodletting. This is how attentive God is to history. And yet we walk around, oh, I'm not sure we should do Black History Month. <laughs> Next time you hear that from somebody, tell them when we ignore history, people die. And tell them if Jesus ignored history, we'd still be lost. And so we come to 2 Kings 13, 20 and 21. Scripture says it came to pass as they were, that they were burying a man. 
Oh, Lord, it's a tough thing to be buried. When you bury somebody, you finish. That's it. How many people in this world are buried, are thrown away, tossed aside? And, you know, this is the most powerful miracle in the scriptures to me because it's so brief. If you're not careful, you miss it. You read right past it. But what happens? You have Elisha who is dead. Now, remember, Elisha had twice the spirit of Elijah. He had twice the spirit of Elijah. And Elisha lived a life so well that even after he was dead, he brought others back to life. The scripture says that the man came into contact with his bones. Now, if you come into contact with bones, that means the person's been dead for a while. Right? The body has decomposed, decayed, and you got bones left. So if coming into contact with bones, which would represent the past or history, if coming into contact with history brings you back to life, it is reasonable to infer that what causes your death is a detachment from history. Is that right? And so we separate ourselves from history at our own peril. Think of the giants of black history. Think of the people. I mean, I, I think of Ida B. Wells. Now, here's a woman whose two best friends were lynched. And they were lynched because at that time, the myth running through the American South was that Black men were pathological sexual predators who represented a threat to white women and that they were going to rape them and do violence to them. And the least little accusation in that direction resulted in mob justice that was swift, certain, and severe. And so, as I think about, I'm talking about coming in contact with some bones. Now, when I think about the bones of Ida B. Wells, and when I think about how Ida B. Wells says to us, the only way to correct wrongs is to shine the light of truth upon them. I mean, here's a woman who took care of a family and ran a worked jobs as a domestic and ran her own newspaper and dared to defy the contemporary mischaracterizations of black men as pathological. So when her two friends, black men were lynched, she said these men had no interest in white women. In fact, Ida B. Wells went through the South and began interviewing white women who then told her a lot of men in with which they were sexually involved, the relationships were consensual. And that they would claim rape to avoid being ostracized in the white community. Now, I don't know about you, 
But if you're disconnected from history, fall back on the bones of Ida B. Wells. Because if you're disconnected from history, you're dead. It's only an encounter with history that will bring you back to life. I think of the courage of Barbara Jordan and Shirley Chisholm and, and one great black person after another, uh, Justice Thurgood Marshall, right? And so many others. I, at home, in my home office, I have, to my right is a portrait of Paul Robeson. Behind me is a picture of Charles Hamilton Houston, who was the lawyer who was responsible for ending Jim Crow in the United States, almost single-handedly. He did it in concert with Thurgood Marshall. And so as we think, and I, I situate myself around all this greatness, right? I mean, they're just pictures on the wall, ultimately. But the pictures inspire something in us, right? They inspire something in us. And, and I, I, what I'm trying to get across today is that even as we are saturated in history by nature, that number one, God has left all of these signs in the heavens as mercies of his attentiveness to history in coming to save us. The reason why we're surrounded by history is because God wants us to remember that if there is, and uh, if we ignore history, we're gonna be lost. And so the next time you look up at the sun, see it as a mercy and understand that you're saturated in history. And God saturates us in history because he never wants us to forget his intervention in history in order to save us. This is, this is what God wants from us. And so if you are cut off from history, and this is the, the second point, number one, look at nature and see God's mercy toward us. And number two, if you've cut yourself off from history, you might be physically alive. But remember, you're probably socially, culturally, and politically dead. And if you don't think the social, the cultural, and the political are important, just think about what you would feel like if you woke up tomorrow and had no idea who you were. You were completely cut off from your past. You know, somebody asked me who I am, I'd be the first one to tell them. So proud of my mother and father. I say, I'm the youngest son of James and Margaret Goldman. What if I woke up tomorrow and couldn't remember that? This is the tragedy and the sadness of Alzheimer's, right? I mean, I'm no doctor, but I suspect that one of the reasons Alzheimer's patients experience crankiness and irritability is because they don't know who they are. That's hard. That's got to be hard on people. And they don't know who they are because the disease in a, in a, in a, in a terrible physiological way severs people from history and kills them twice. The first time they die is when they don't know who they are, who you are. People are married for years and a spouse gets Alzheimer's and they don't know who your spouse is. What did we say? What happened when Jamal's basketball coach ignored history? He died. 
What happens when courts of law ignore history and decide that they want to treat everybody the same without treating everybody fairly? See, Jesus says the hairs of your head are numbered. They are numbered. Jesus has a very specific knowledge of each of us. One last point before I close. How many people out here are parents? You have children, right? Maybe you got one introverted child, one extroverted child, and you punish both of them for something. Now, you banish both of them to their room. The introvert is having a ball. The extrovert is climbing the walls. And the extrovert comes to you and says, Mom, Dad, I understand the punishment you gave us. I know I did wrong. I get it. But my brother is up there, or my sister is upstairs, and she's just reading a book, (laughs) happy as she can be. It's not fair that she gets to enjoy her punishment And I have to endure this excruciating pain from all this social alienation. Your extroverted child has a point. You have treated your children the same, but you arguably have not treated them fairly. Now, if you really want to treat them fairly, you send the extrovert to the room, and you tell the introvert to come out with you and do some ministry. You know, the child of yours always complain, we got to go to church now. You mean, I got to go to the soup kitchen and put soup in all these strangers, people that smell funny. Yep, come on. Come on. You see the difference there? But socially and politically, we live in a world that tends to treat everyone the same. And in treating everyone the same, we end up ignoring history. And what happens when we ignore history? people die. Christian friends, if God ignored history, we would be lost. But it's because he did not ignore history that we are saved. If you're cut off from history, like the man who was tossed into Elisha's tomb, you're dead. You want to come back to life? get in contact with history. And you don't just have to do it during Black History Month. Spend some time connecting with the history of black people throughout the year. Because remember, the more connected you remain to your history, the more likely you are to remain alive. Right? I'm so thankful if, we could, if you could play something softly for me. I'm so thankful that we serve a God who leaves the importance of history behind as part of his backside, as a mercy to us. I will never look at the nighttime sky the same again. When I look at the stars, I will be reminded that my saturation in history is intended to be a divine reminder of God's love because God came into history to save us. 
Bright and sunny days have assumed a new and glorious meaning for me. Because when I see the sun, now I am reminded that I am saturated in history eight minutes behind because God wants to remind me of how he entered into history to save me. Christian friends, my prayer for you today is that if you have disconnected yourself, and by the way, black history is not just for black people, right? It, it, it's a benefit to all of us, right? So if whites or, or other ethnic groups want to get some sense, because we all live on the planet together, right? So it would only make sense that we would want to develop an appreciation, not only for history generally, but for how it is that people other than us have histories. And so I, I really just want us to focus our attention on God's love this Sabbath day. And as we reflect on his love, I just want you to reflect on the mercies that he left behind. When you look at the stars in the sky at night or when you look at the sun in the brilliance of daylight, remember that God has had mercy on us through history. And so I'm going to ask if Pastor Richardson would come now and offer a prayer of consecration over us. Your Bible Speaks Church, I want to thank you so much for this time to have spent with you this Sabbath day. And I pray that all of us will appreciate history because if we ever ignore it, we will die. God bless you. There is truly a word from the Lord for the people of the Lord. Let us pray. God who sits in heaven, who looks down but allows us to call upon his name, Jesus, we thank you that you care about history. Lord, we thank you for the fact that we have heard a word from you. God, we ask that in this moment in space and in time that you would allow us to, to hold steadfast, that we will look upon you when things get rough and that we will maybe just maybe lean up against the bones of history, that we may find life. Lord, we, we rest upon you this Sabbath day asking that you would dwell with us. And Lord, as we go our separate ways and never from your presence, Lord, hold us closer to you. Into your hands, O oh God, we commit each and every member, church family member in the room today, into your hands. So Lord, we thank you that we encountered you today. Lord, we thank you for the ministry of Dr. Golden. So, Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. And all those that believe said, Amen.
amen and amen. Was that not an amazing word? Was that not the most encouraging thing you've heard all week, church family? Dr. Timothy Golden brought a powerful word. And Dr. Golden is not just an amazing speaker. He is an actor. And so what's amazing about Dr. Golden is he sat down with us after he preached and he's gonna you're gonna be able to hear his full story testimony in our discussion for wisdom wednesday you don't want to miss wednesday's episode i'm so glad that you worshiped with us today at church and on our sabbath morning edition of the show and i'm so glad that you'll be able to hear from dr timothy golden on wednesday on wednesday what day wisdom wednesdays church family if you want to connect and make a decision in response to what you've heard from dr golden if you want to get connected and you want to get planted into a church and you want to give your heart to Christ and you want to get baptized, rebaptized, or just want to start a Bible study journey, I invite you to go into the comment section, the discussion portion of this channel, of this podcast, and click the decision card below and connect with us. If you want to get baptized, rebaptized, if you just want to have Bible study or you need someone to talk to, connect with the decision card below and check out next week's episode of Wisdom Wednesday. What day? Wisdom Wednesday. God bless you. God keep you. And may his face shine upon you and bring you peace. Thank you for listening.